When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good morning and welcome to the Football Digest Euros podcast and our Mirror Football guest this morning, a small but very select exclusive band. And when I say exclusives, I mean the king of exclusives in Neil Moxley. Uh, Neil, thanks so much for joining us, pal. Lovely to have you with us. And uh, and Andy Dunn, my colleague, uh, Daily Mirror Chief Sports Writer. And yeah, we'll be asking the only question in town. Is it come home? Um, here we are. It seems, I don't know, I, I can't work out whether this tournament has flown by or whether it's actually now it feels like an, it, football's been going on an eternity in this Euros, but we really are down to the business end of it. And it's so exciting now. I cannot, can't wait really, um, to be honest. It's, uh, you know, the excitement is building no end ahead of Wednesday. So what should Gareth Southgate do? We'll be looking at, at, at that. This is the man that basically is on course um, for 36 games without naming a, a consecutive unchanged team. That is a remarkable record which dates back to England's World Cup semi-final against Croatia, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, that's just mm. astonishing. Um, the defence has been fantastic. Does he need to change that, though? He's done it without without ever sort of kind of letting it uh, affect um, the closed shop nature of their uh, of their clean sheets. Um, Denmark, what a ride, what a journey they've been on. You know, on the on the pre- their press conference yesterday morning, what an incredible story they've got to tell and the momentum that's behind them. We'll be looking at all of those points. But let's start off, shall we, with you, you guys were both in Rome. You, you know, the win over Ukraine, guys. I mean, uh, Andy, you know, what did you make of that? Is that a scene setter? Is that a is that a confidence boost? Is that a belief? Um, something that really, really strengthened the, the belief really within the camp that England can go and now go on to the final uh, with that sort of performance that they produced Saturday night. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned the word um, confidence there, and I think that's the key word. I've, it's you know, I've been covering England for. An awfully long time. I mean, you know, um, too long to care to remember. And I have to say, I don't think I've ever seen a squad and a team as confident as they as they were in a quarterfinal, as they were in Rome on Saturday nights. That was what I took away from that night. And I, they, you know, a couple of things actually. One, they they're going into a semi final with the entire squad fit, which is remarkable. You know, a bigger squad. He's got twenty six players available to him. Essentially, we, we think you know Saka might have had a bit of a knock. Uh, why he missed that Rome game, but he's, he's he's fine. So that's so so they are in physical prime. They he, I mean so, so physically and psychologically they are absolutely they couldn't be in better shape. That's exactly what I took away. You know I've never seen an England team so so sure in what they do, so confident in what they do. Everyone making a contribution. Um, you know it, it, it's you start writing about games like that. And you think well, I'm going to you know pick out a player. And I picked out Raheem Sterling um, for his contribution yet again, you know, an outstanding contribution 
Um, if it goes on like this, a candidate for player of the tournament, certainly England's mm. player of the tournament at the moment. But then you start writing about Raheem Sterling and you suddenly think, well, actually, you know, how about the contribution of Harry Kane, the clear one, the two goals? Hang on, but how about, like, you know, another clean sheet? Uh, and uh, Jordan Pickford again, sort of, you know, making a couple of crucial saves when when England were a little bit shaky at the back. Then you think to yourself, well, hang on a minute, you know, Harry Maguire scored and was again inspirational alongside his partner, John Stones. And then that's without thinking about Luke Shaw. So all of a sudden you think to yourself, I could actually write and headline any one of these guys, maybe apart from Carl Walker, even Jaden Sancho, who I don't think was as good as some people suggested. Maybe Sancho and Walker. You could you could have written, you could have these guys could have been the headline act in any report you're writing. And I think that's a reflection of how good they were. And then, you know, even you could even do on Jordan Henderson, who came on, you know, and scored his first international goal. And again, you know, it, it is, you know, you, you have to. And well, there are a few caveats to be perfect, aren't you? I was going to say you caveat with saying that Ukraine were, were, you know, looked a little bit leggy from their previous exertions. Um, you know, they, they, they've been through a, a grueling knockout game, a couple of injuries. But, you know, you can't keep making caveats for teams that England beats. You know, they are, they are beating teams now with some degree of comfort. And as I say, I just came away thinking that word you said, confidence. I mean, they are confident without being cocky. They're, they've got the realistic, but they are absolutely full of self-belief, this team. And that's why I, I genuinely, and, and again, I've, I've spent all these shows we've done throughout the tournament, John, saying like, you know, this is why England, you know, are seen as arrogant because they underestimate teams because, you know, we said, you know, it's automatic. if we beat Germany, that's it. It's a bye to the final. You know, and, and, and last week, you know, I, I, the, the lads were on then, Jeremy and Dunny. I said, like, that's why we're perceived as being so arrogant, that you guys have given us a, a bye to the final where we've got Ukraine and, and Czech Republic or Denmark. We've beaten Ukraine. It's now Denmark have beaten the Czech Republic, and it will be a tough game. But I am honestly struggling to find a way, but we'll come on to how they could. I am, I'm struggling to find a way that they're going to lose this game. I really do. In the current form and mood they're in. I think they're overwhelming favourites for this game. T- typical arrogant English. Typical arrogant. It is. English. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> you've lost agree. the plot, Andy. After all this time you've held it I'm together, pal, probably... you've lost it. Finally, the final week, you just had the meltdown and you turned into a typical English, arrogant English fan. <laughs> I love it. Mark, what it all this time. <laughs> Absolutely, you've held it together and now cracked at the last. You're getting carried away. Crack. You're getting carried away. Mox, you were there, pal, in Rome, and it's. You know, it, it was the most complete England performance I can remember for a long time. I mean, you know, people talk about kind of Ukraine not being that great. But I do think there must have been an element in there somewhere that England made them look very ordinary. They did play well. I mean, Ukraine maybe had reached as far as they were going to go. Maybe they looked a bit leggy. But what, what impressed you most um, about that performance? I agree with everything my esteemed colleague has just said, and blimey, if the most cynical scouser of them all is is now is now run over, we're in trouble, aren't we? Um, we are. Yeah. You know, the one the one word he didn't use, and I was so glad he didn't, was maturity. To be honest mm. with you, and, and I'll tell you for why. Um, the uh, you know emotional investiture in that game against Germany was was huge. You know the mm. country was absolutely bouncing, and quite rightly, you know it was a really. Uh, it was a great result that banished all the demons and, and, and everything else. But it was, it was you know, it was always going to be a, a bit of a come down to, I don't say silly, 
But it was always going to be a little bit of an emotional come down to face Ukraine in Rome, given the fact that there was no uh, full Wembley that or fullish Wembley that that would have been expecting. And to be honest with you, from the fourth minute on, um, they just you know they they were in total control. I mean, I know it didn't look like it on the, on the couple of occasions that Jordan Pickford uh, made those saves, but they weren't. It wasn't really. Uh, it wasn't one of those where you, your heart was in your mouth. You thought the fellow was going to score. And you always, I mean, I don't know what Andy felt, but always sitting in my socially distant seat in, in the Stadio Olimpico, I never got the feeling once that this was a game that England ever lost any control over. They, they were patient in the first half after they got the goal. They passed the, yes, they uh, passed the ball around at the back on, you know, when people were urging them to uh, to get it forwards. But they, they took their time, they ground them down, and in the end, they blew them away at the start of the second half. Um, and I thought it was a thoroughly mature performance in terms of being able to handle the situation that they found themselves in, in terms of being able to handle the the uh, the high that they've been on against Germany. And like I say, and we were talking about it as we left the stadium, Lord knows what time it was. But, you know, it was there were very, very few negatives. You know, it's all pointing in one direction. It's very difficult at the moment to find out to find uh, too many negatives to actually throw at this England team in terms of you know how, the, how they've progressed through this tournament and but I just think that the overriding feeling for me was just the, the game management you know the maturity mm. with which they handled the situation and came out the other side and again you know in terms of confidence it was another building block really to what we all hope is a, is a wonderful finale yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, listen, there's a script here that I've been given and it says Harry Kane seemingly back to his best like Matt predicted last week. I'll, I'll have to have words there. Matt never gets anything right, does he, Andy? But I mean, I have to say, I, um, you know, I mean, Harry Kane, for all that talk about kind of is he fully fit, is is the future and, and doubts over whether he's staying at Tottenham coming or going, weighing on his shoulders. Is that is that what makes him looking like he's running through treacle? We'll have to store this away in the memory bank because basically Harry Kane is clearly all about confidence and scoring goals because as soon as you've got one, I mean, it's just incredible, the transformation in, in the guy, isn't it? I mean, you know, now he'll be looking at the golden boot. He really will be thinking, I can win the golden boot here. Won't he? Yeah. Although, ho- although hopefully, John, if 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 England are one 0 up and he's through on goal, but Raheem Sterling is a better option. Hopefully, this time around, he'll take that option. Um, unlike he did in um, in Moscow three years ago. I mean, I, I hope the Golden Boot doesn't become that much of an upset. Well, we all know. I mean, we, John, we were there. Yeah. sat next to you, mate. You know when when yeah. when he went through there, not long before half time. And you know he could have given still in the tap in, chose to try himself, failed, and um, and of course it's interesting because I, I know um, you know Kane will speak later on. It'll be interesting to see looking back on that semi final, what he what if anything he will have learned from that semi final three years ago. But going back to yeah, listen, it, it, I mean what 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 really struck you on um, Saturday night was not so much as two goals, but you know the volley to try and get the hat trick. You, you know, was just um, instinctive. You know that Kane at his at his, at his best, really. As it happened, it was saved, and, and England scored from the corner anyway. But yes, I mean, but England are playing different. You know, he he's not dropping as deep anymore, is he? You know, England are on the front foot a little bit more. Um, so the, the, the he's running into areas where he's hurting teams. Hence the goal after four minutes, um, and he was excellent on him. Um, 
on on Saturday. I mean, I have to say the first finish went off the keeper. It wasn't it wasn't like a spectacular finish, but he was he was anticipating things. He anticipated the short cross, um, and was you know was was you're right. And the good thing is, is that unlike World Cup 2018, where he, he grew out of the tournament, didn't he? This one, you feel he's grown into it. The momentum was all with him going out of that tournament to the extent where he played for 120 minutes against Croatia in the semi-final and pretty much apart from that one where he could have put in Sterling had minimal effect. You know, in fact, I'm sure a lot of people at that game, including myself, were sort of probably asking for him to be um, replaced early. Early, He wasn't replaced at all. I mean, Vardy did get on, but it wasn't for Kane. Whereas in this tournament, you know, he is clearly growing into the tournament. He is clearly... The team, I think, are adapting to him more. So we're not seeing him. In the early games, John, we were seeing him drop deep and taking the ball off the centre-backs. It was ridiculous. I think yeah, that was against yeah. Scotland. Yeah, I mean, he was coming back so far. He was actually taking the ball off John Stones and Harry Maguire with the pass. Mm. And and that's, that's not happening now. He's getting into areas, you know, where where he can be, um, where he's just most effective. And as you say, it would not surprise you one bit if um, if, he, if, England, if England win the tournament, he wins the Golden Boot. Let's put it that way. Yeah, he does really. It's very tight there amongst amongst the goals. I mean, it is, it is amazing. Yes. I mean, Harry Kane, Mox, he's, he's you know what a season he's had. Really, the only the only issue I take about what Andy there says there about the sort of dropping deep with, with the uh, taking the ball off the defenders. And I get the point. I, please don't get me wrong. I get the point with England, but he's done that so much with Spurs this season, and he just feels like he's had. An incredible season, you know, where he's been, he's been supplier, he's been, you know, supply line, he's been provider, assister, goal scorer, leader, and he's just back there, isn't he? Right at, at, at you know, at the business end of the season and or at the business end of the tournament, rather, he's, he's looking transformed now, isn't he? Yes, I just wonder, you know, I mean, I felt, I felt so sorry for him. He's, you know, you look at the stats and he's had nine touches. Mm-hmm. One half or something like that. This is a bloke who's won the Premier League goals. He's topped the Premier League goal scoring charts again. Uh, added to that, he's probably topped the Premier League assists chart again. And we can't seem to find him. We can't seem to find him. So he must have felt my only chance of actually getting the ball of, of getting the ball. He's going to look for it myself. So, you know, that was the reason he, he you know, he just got so frustrated and, and not being in the game. I mean, I thought he was poor against Scotland. I thought he looked, I thought he genuinely looked tired. I thought it was a tired performance, but, you know, it would have been a big call for um, Gareth to have brought him off after, you know, 55, 60 minutes, say, and put um, Dominic Calvert-Lewin on. Um, you know, I mean, what does it say about bringing your, your, your skipper off and, and making a change? Um, but notwithstanding anything else, you, you, you're right. It's almost as if... Um, Remember the old James Bond film when the guy's in the uh, guy's in the boat and he's trying to get the thing to go faster, and he, and, yeah. he, and James Bond's struggling to find. I think it's Roger Moore struggling to find you know the the button, and he all of a sudden he turns the petrol thing on, and the the, the whole thing shoots into life, <laughs> and the boat speeds off. That's what I feel about Harry Kane at the moment. He's suddenly, like you say, he's got this little injection of confidence. Um, and, and, and perhaps he's got it now in his teammates that they're actually going to pr- provide for him. Um, and, and like you say, you know, it, it, it's odds on now that if England England do win this thing, that, that he'll end up with a golden boot. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There is this remarkable record, isn't there, that, that Southgate, I mentioned at the top of the show, that, you know, it's 35 games now in a row that Southgate has changed the team. He changed it in, in Rome to need to bring in Sancho. 
I uh, I mean, Sancho has divided opinion, really, hasn't he? I mean, he clearly is incredible talent, and um, you know, but did, how good was he going forward, and did he offer enough uh, protection? You know, particularly sort of in the first half an hour for Carl Walker. I think those are sort of you know burning questions. Yeah. I, I, I don't think he'll start frankly, against Denmark. Really? But no, Sancho, do you? Um, you know, I, no, I, 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 I think I'm probably with you there, John. I, I, I think that, like, you know, it, it was easy to get, as good as it was on Saturday night, it was quite easy to get carried away in the in, in the general euphoria. And I think some people did that when they were sort of talking about Sancho's performance. Um, they keep didn't, did they, um, in their ratings? No, four the out of ten, wasn't it? Brilliant. Four out of ten. They, but they are notoriously hard to please, aren't they? I mean, I mean, well, so clear. yeah, four, four, four out of ten isn't bad, probably, is it? Um, they and and he was, you know, I, I thought, I thought he was in and out of the game. He looked better when he sort of drifted over to the left. And you're right, you know, as much as Carl Walker, you know, was probably one of the least, you know, acclaimed players, and 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 he did, you know, he obviously made that mistake that led to to one chance for him. For Ukraine, um, he didn't get much protection. No, and and someone like Saka, for example. And his his diligence, his work rate, you now um, would would offer would offer more protection and would offer probably just as much threat going forward. So I think you're right. I, I, I listen. I, I don't know what what I haven't had an inkling of the team yet, but I would. It wouldn't surprise me if Saka for Sancho was one consideration that he was he was thinking of making. I mean, I'm sure we'll get onto the team, but it depends mm-hmm. what he decides to do. In terms of you know um, against Denmark and what he's done with them before, but um, but purely on a personnel level, I think if Saka is a hundred percent, then maybe Saka for Sancho would be the change I would see. Mm, yeah. What, Mops, what would you? It, is there a change that is obvious that you you perhaps see? You know, does it does he need to change it at right back? Because I think that you know this is sort of almost a bit of a universal feel that. Walker maybe wasn't at his best Saturday and sort of he, he was, you know, in amongst a very, very good team performance. Or is that harsh? No, I think you've been a bit harsh, to be honest. Um, uh, the one thing I'd say about Sancho, and, and again, it was something me and Dunny disc- discussed as we were leaving the Stadio Olympico, which is a long walk out, which is what we discussed a lot, um, mm-hmm. was the fact yeah. that Sancho just looks, he just seems to glide over, over, the, um, over the pitch. He's such a wonderful mover, such a wonderful athlete. Mm. And in, in fairness, I thought he caused. I know Gareth uh, Pryor in the pre-match build. It was after width, and that was the reason that he said that Sancho was, you know, being started. But he actually seemed to cause just as many problems, or in fact more, when he stepped inside. You know, and started to link yes. up with with Kane and the mid the mid the, and the midfielders. He, he he really did seem to, uh, uh, and, and he just moves with such athleticism and such pace. I mean, he's uh, you know he's. Uh, some players just look like footballers, and, and, and the overriding feeling for, from me was that, that Sancho looks like a player. Do I think he'll start? Probably not, because I, I agree with um, I agree with Andy that potentially against Denmark, and, and they will, but they have got willing runners who will run all night. Um, mm. You probably do need um, more diligence um, in terms of your defensive yeah. duties, and, and for that reason, I, I probably would go. With Saka as well, because he is li- li- liable to afford a little bit more to to, to Carl Walker. Yeah. I, th- I actually think Carl Carl Walker's had a super tournament, and I think he he's has. a really important player for, for for Gareth because of the fact that he can play on the right side of the three, and he could or he, can, he looks equally at home, um, you know, as a right back in in a normal form. And talking about players who are athletes, 
I mean, he's just, you know, uh, when you beat Carl Walker in a foot race, you, you, you're you quick, aren't you? I mean, I think he's a, I don't think he's a great passer of the ball, but look, as a defender and an athlete, I, I think he's been one of the standout players. And yes, he may have, but he may have allowed, there might have been one or two gaps down the right-hand side of um, of that defence on, on Saturday night. But um, yeah, I think we've been a little bit harsh if, 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 if uh, we drop him on the basis of that. Mm. I, yeah, I think his best game has actually came against uh, Germany when he was on the right yeah. side of the of of the back three. Moxa um, must call you up on sort of what other race would you beat him in? Bar bar a foot race, basically against oh, well, spoon or three legged yeah. race or well, yeah. well, well, you know, I didn't mean a car race. Yeah, probably. There's a fair chance that there's a fair chance that if he's on a foot race and you're on the car race, he still wins. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Very good. I'm going to tell you what, guys. There was a lot of the. Sorry. Go on. Sorry, Andy. No, go on, John. No, no, I was just going to say, the. I mean, the defence generally has just been, you know, fantastic, isn't it? And I don't know whether, you know, how much of that is down to the sort of the defensive unit. And it's been very, very interchangeable, isn't it? And, and kind of the, 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 the changes that Southgate has made hasn't disrupted in any way the, the togetherness of the unit and the solidity of that. Um and even switching between three and and a, and a back four, you know, is remarkable, really seamless. Mm. But do, are we giving enough credit, you know, though, for the players in front of that, and almost the player, you know, the player behind in, in Jordan Pickford? I mean, David James said something to me before the before the start of the tournament. If you know, if Jordan Pickford, Jordan Pickford could a play for any top, you know, Champions League club. And wouldn't look out of place. And B, if he did, then people would probably appreciate just what a good goalkeeper he is. You know, Pickford has had a remarkable tournament, hasn't he? I think so far, starting with him. Yeah, go on, Mox. No, no, go on, mate. You, you, we start yeah, mate, right, yeah. I'll speak after you. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's, yeah, I mean, he's, he's had a fantastic tournament. You know, I mean, really good. He, you know, he, he hasn't he hasn't been overworked. You know, and. Um, there haven't been what you would call. Um, I mean, I mean, it's been a couple of saves that you, that you might call important. Let's put it that way. Very important mm. saves. You know, there's none. I mean, the one. What was it? The, the one just underneath the crossbar against Germany from Havertz was um, was a bit of one for the show reel, and obviously a very important one. From Werner early in that game, um, and a couple of, on Saturday night, and he looks more assured. You know, he's his his decision making seems to be to be very good in terms of when he's coming out. His distribution is okay. You know, it's it's it, it's fine. Um, and yes, he, he just looks like a mature goalkeeper who's in good form. And, and and there's not really that much more to add, other than the fact I think that you know a lot's been made of um of of like how psychologically he's. He turned the corner. He's matured. You're not seeing the rushes of blood, the rushes of blood that you know that, that, that have been not particularly for England costly. Although, do you remember there was one against Spain away that, that should have been costly but wasn't, or that maybe that we've seen in an Everton shirt, but most notably that that ended Van Dijk's season. Um, we haven't seen those rushes of blood during this tournament. So, he, so psychologically, without a doubt, he's matured, and we've spoken at length about that. But you know what? When I saw him last week at the um, at St George's Park um, doing the the media conference there, 
and you look close and see him. I think he looks physically a lot better as well than, than I, I think he's like you know a real. I don't know where it is. I don't know whether he, I don't know whether he looks he, he looks more live than than and he was live in the first place, but he looks you know more live at the, at the moment. He looks he just looks so so physically in good shape. I'm not saying he, he hasn't been in the past, but I just think that like you know although David Moyes, if you remember, um, quite a while ago um, did suggest that, that that you know he wasn't. You know the best in that in in that in that department, but he looks brilliant. He looks brilliant, and his attitude is brilliant. And when he's been called upon, he's done what he's had to do. I mean, and and there's nothing else you can ask. You know, other than that. And sometimes you do wonder as well. I mean, you know, he's not under any threat or any pressure. He hasn't been for a long time in England, and I don't mm. know whether that's just given him even more confidence. You know, he doesn't need to prove anything. He's he's England's number one, and and he is, he, mm. he was going into tournaments. He was during the tournament, and he will be for a long time to come now. And that must give you a good feeling of being, you know, and that must really make you just grow an inch or two as well. So, so yeah, that's important. And quickly going on to what you were saying about um, defensively and the two lads in front, did they gain enough credits? I think they do gain enough credits. I think they've been, you know, but it's just, you know, again, going back to Southgate and, and the man who gets the credit is someone who's stuck by what is essentially a fairly basic plan. It's either, you know, he plays six defensive players, doesn't he? You know, if, mm. if he's playing the back four, he plays six defensive players. If he's playing the back three, he essentially plays seven, really, and then just picks the attackers on top. And it's a very sort of, you know, it, it was a plan that was seen as negative for a while, but that's long gone now. You know, Gareth's plan works, so long may it continue. Yeah, yeah, he's been smart with his substitutes, I think, as well, isn't he? Because I, th- I, I, I must confess, I thought that basically in a couple of the opening games, I thought that mm, substitutes is he going to be found wanting against some of the some of the sort of kind of elite coaches? Did you do make enough substitutes? But you know, he seems to manage the team, Mox, doesn't he? And sort of kind of got the best, got the yeah, best I out mean, and made the changes. I mean, look, like us all, we all speak to, to, to people in the game. It's how we uh, broaden our own um, knowledge as journalists. You know, I was speaking to somebody at the weekend and he said that, he, you know, the, the, this coach at Premier League Club was sort of saying, I wonder how much of an effect Steve Holland's had uh, because mm. um, Holland, you know, started out his, his life, at, you know, playing under uh, Dario Grady at crew. He would have played a, a, a very... Um, very stylized uh, way of playing, and then, um, but apparently at Chelsea had a, a bit of an epiphany under Jose Mourinho, and obviously, as we know, that Mourinho's best sides were we'll, we'll, we'll keep what we've got, and you know, we'll 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 relax a little bit, like Andy just said, we'll, we'll rely on a sort of like front three or front four to make the difference and get us a goal somewhere along the line, and and that's been very much the hallmark of of England's um, approach, really, in terms of he's kept a solid six or seven and just asked the front three and swapped and changed as he felt necessary, for example, you know, against Germany when he brought on Jack Grealish to to, to unlock the door. Um, and, and I can, you know, I, I can see I can see the merit in that, you know, against the tiring defence. We'll come on to it, obviously, outside Denmark. Um, you know, uh, on, on, on tomorrow night, it'll be... Um, it'll be interesting to see how he uses those substitutes. But, you know, you fully expect a game to see changes in, in, in the wide positions, um, you know, either side of Harry Kane after about an hour tomorrow night just to present different different problems to the Denmark defence. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you know, Jack Grealish has been such a figure in this tournament, hasn't he, Andy? In the, and yet, 
actually the reality is that, you know, isn't it? How many games he started? One. And it's just, yeah. You know, but he's been such an influential figure from the bench. And that is, that says to me, he's really played a part as have other substitutes, you know, Jude Bellingham, I'm thinking, you know, you know, Jordan Henderson the other night came, you know, came on, scores his first goal. That is really testament, isn't it, to a strong, deep squad, a squad pulling in the same direction. Oh yeah, well, it's a it's a really deep squad. I mean, I mean, I mean, if you'd have said to people, well, England will beat Ukraine four 0 in Rome in the quarterfinals, they'll use all five substitutes, and Grealish and Foden won't get a kick. People would have laughed at you, you know. I mean, it, it, it's 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 remarkable to that extent. It's a testament to the depth. When we sat with Jack Grealish again at St George's Park last um, it was Thursday or. I think, um, and he was saying, you know, when he said, "Oh, you know, there's six of us, basically." So if you if you think if he plays four um, at the back, he's playing six yeah. defenders. So, so to the back yeah. four, and then right and Phillips. So he's got four yeah. players left to pick. Kane is one of them. Sterling yeah. is another. And then yeah. basically, for those, he's, he's got five players. Then, so five players for those remaining three positions. Yeah, Grealish. Foden, Saka, Sancho, and Mount. Yeah, and obviously Mount's a favourite. So, so, so the places are very, very limited. You know, Grealish was saying, "Well, we've got six attackers um, to go for three places alongside Harry Kane, yeah. and that's and he said the six of us are so good at scary with his words, and he's probably right. What's scary is that you you haven't to leave three of them out, and." It looks like it will be, um, you know, Grealish and Foden will be two of the three left out. And that's like, you know, you, you that's remarkable. And that will be the same on, I mean, there is absolutely, I, I can, I, I, I'm, I'm not great at getting the team right, but I can tell you one thing, Grealish isn't starting this game against Denmark. I, I, no. You can absolutely guarantee that. You know, and what's amazing, well, not amazing, but what's, you know, what is um, uh, a testament to what the job that Southgate is doing is that, you know, he's had a nation. You know, after the friendlies, when Grealish started both the games against Austria and Romania, you know, the clamour, the, the, the Grealish bandwagon was like, you know, was absolutely, you know, was going, you know, faster day by day. And so, and, and he's ignored it, hasn't he? I mean, I mean, he's generally ignored it. He's used him when he's thought mm. that he'd be of use, you know, and, yeah. turn, you know, his impact in the game against Germany was obvious. But he's refusing to, you know, he's making what essentially is an unpopular decision. But now people can't think of it as the wrong decision because they've seen what's happened. So it's, um, it's, it, 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 I mean, as I say, it, it's just testament to him, um, how he's how he's handled those those flair players. Yeah, I mean, you you actually put out, a, you know, put out a protest, a banner, didn't you, outside St George's Park yeah. with that that, that Kingford St. <laughs> with Jack, I mean, Mox maybe you know Mox uh, probably knows knows more about you know Grealish and whatever. I'll be interested to see you know the 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 public persona he put on on Thursday about not getting into the team. You know, mm. was very you know as you imagine it, the England camp was very very sort of like oh it doesn't matter you know we're all for one one for all even if we're not playing mm. it's um, we're all part team, you know, which I'm not necessarily sure they can think 100%. So I'd, I'd love to know what 
Jack thought about, you know, he said he's never been to Rome. He said he was looking forward to going to Rome. We said, well, you're not going to see much of it, mate. You know, in and out. He's been looking forward to it. As, as it happened, he could have seen more of it, more of it than he bargained for because he didn't yeah. need to play in football. He could have popped down to the Vatican. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, two things then, Mox. What was his what will be his, you know, is it sold a scene basically? You know, is he is he in that selfless place in, in this tournament that basically is sacrificing in you know itself really basically to to just help the, the, the gang? It certainly sounds like it. A few of them are, you know, all there, but you know, there's bound to be a hankering there anyway. Another thing I want to ask you after after that one. Is he going to be an Aston Villa player at the start of next season? Oh. Well, first, the first thing. Two to big say, questions, Box. Yeah. Mm. I know, yeah, I know. I wish I knew the answer. If one man knows, then it's Neil Mott. <laughs> no, no. Exactly. Look, there are you know the one thing we're told about the sort. I'm calling. I'm not. He's not going to call him a maverick because he because he's more than that. But Jack Grealish, ever since he's a kid, um, has, has played sport. You know, he he started off playing. Um, you know, Gaelic sport and. Um, Alongside his um, alongside his football, I mean, all he does is, is all he's done as a kid is, is just play sport, you know. So to take 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 away, and, and to be honest with you, all he's done ever ever since he's played sport, he's been available to play sport and been chosen to play sport. He's been chosen by Villa. He's been you know fast tracked by by them into the side. You know, he played at the age of eighteen under. Under Tim Sherwood, I think it was, um, and you know he's been given a platform to play. That platform has been taken. That automatic platform has been taken away, um, and he will react. Um, he's not, uh, you know, he's not. He may not be the sharpest tool in the box, Jack, but he's not stupid. I mean, there's no point sitting there, despite you know, um, you, you know, and, and moaning and groaning and throwing your dumb toys out the pram when the rest of the country is on such a you know state of euphoria. He, he will be a reluct- reluctant, reluctant. Uh, substitute, um, a reluctant bit part player, a reluctant, mm. you know, um, sort of like um, squad member, rather than being automatic first choice. There's no, there's no question in my mind about that. Knowing the lad, you know, he's an effervescent character. He's a very bubbly kid. He's a very honest kid, really. What you see to me is what you get, um, and always has been. Um, now, as to whether or not he'll be a, a, an Aston Villa player at the end of the season, uh, sorry, at the start of next season. Um, I'm starting to have my doubts, um, only because um, I'm, just, I'm I'm looking at um, Aston Villa's squad and wondering if they do uh, press ahead with the uh, Emil Smith Rowe proposed transfer. And uh, someone said to me at the weekend, "Look, if if we didn't, because um, because the, the the accepted wisdom on it has been that the kid the kid has used been using Villa's interest to get himself a better deal at Arsenal." Um, you know, and and I sort of said to somebody, "Look, you're not pressing." He said, "Well, you know, with the, there's a third big going in," and I sort of said, "Well." Aren't, aren't you just being used here? You know, aren't you just being, um, you know, to get for the kid to get? And he said, look, if we honestly thought that, we'd have we'd have scarped, you know, ages ago. You know, yeah. so I'm looking at the the pursuit, the doggy pursuit of Smith Rowe. I'm looking at the fact they've spent thirty million on, um, on Wendia, and I'm just wondering where whether they can play Wendia, Smith Rowe, Grealish behind, you know, Ollie Watkins. It sounds fantastic, and if Philly can pull it off, great. And the other sort of um, chatter doing the rounds uh, at the moment is that he's close to signing a new deal. Personally, I think he'll stay possibly for just one more season. If he does sign another deal, I would imagine that his agents will insist upon a a get-out clause um, of around whatever figure they can get away with. 
Um, and, and but my best guess at the moment would be that Jack stays for another year, and, and we'll see where we go. The only other alternative is that the deal's been verbally agreed with Manchester City, and that Villa are just getting reinforcements in before everybody knows that they've got a load of money to spend. But to be honest with you, Villa's Villa's owners are so rich. I just don't understand why you know it's not readily accepted in English football. There, there's something like the third richest owners in the, in, mm. in the region, and we all know about the largest uh, financial uh, capabilities and resources at the disposal of Manchester City and, you know, Chelsea. And uh, so money's not really the issue. These guys who run Aston Villa Football Club, they're serious, they're moneyed and they're ambitious and they are in a hurry. They know Jack Greenish's value and and there's no way, unless there's a get-out clause, he's going for anything less than nine figures, in my opinion. Yeah, to your mocks, I think it's a really interesting point you hit upon there because I think people overlook the fact and, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe they're not aware of the, the wealth of the, the and the ambition and determination of the Villa ownership, basically, and the hierarchy. You know, as you rightly say, I think they're really backing Dean Smith to the hilt, aren't they? And going to give it a real go to kind of push on next season yeah, as a Premier yeah, League. Yeah. If you look at their progression, it's really impressive, isn't it, under Dean Smith? You know, struggled yeah. the first season. Last season was a good one, you know, basically. Okay, second half of the season, not so impressive, but if they're still making progression, you know, really good, yeah. really impressive. Yeah, absolutely, mate. I mean, look, you know, I think they, um, I think the, the combined wealth of the pair of them is approaching £10 billion. Pounds. You know, if, if they, you know, they don't need to sell Jack Grealish. They don't want to sell Jack Grealish. Why would you sell Jack Grealish if you ask the middle owners? It makes yeah. no sense. The only person who, who will force the issue. I mean, to be honest, if I were, if I was them, I'd say what 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 money are Manchester City proposing to pay you, and offer the same contract, and then say, look, mm-hmm. it's now not about the money. Mm-hmm. We'll pay yeah. the money. It's now not about the money. If you want to go, go. But we, we we're offering the same money, and and, yeah. and see what happens. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And thanks I'll tell you what, that's, that's about that's about three million, four million quid a year. I've just earned you there. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you'll get it. <laughs> uh, we should look at a few comments, actually. That basically, Alan Chamberlain, an old friend, is uh, saying what's happened to Phil Foden, touted by many before the tournament as a generational talent. Um, yeah, after the first game, basically discarded. I think you're being harsh there, Alan. Actually, I don't think I think that sort of Phil Foden is, you know, still seen as um, you know major major part. Really, it's just I think his competition for places really. Um, which is uh, which is the thing, but I, I, I take your point. Um, and uh, uh, Bib Blob Kishore Deb, um, where's he gone? I think John, John just left us there. I think he was he was gone. Uh, Bib Bib Blob, who is a regular contributor, um, it, it was basically talking about um, well, in various things here, but. Um, ben White, he's saying, he's saying, he's saying, Mox, that the strength of this squad is highlighted in a Ben White who's coming for Trent Alexander-Arnold yet to get a minute. He's attacking so much interest from top PL sides. This once again simply shows the quality of depth this English side boasts of, and it has got that sort of depth. Uh, and, and I'll tell you what, what's interesting, uh, Neil, is that um, you talk about Ben White, and he's one of the players that we were talking about. I think we were having a chat the weekend. One of the players who hasn't played a minute in this tournament. And sometimes, you know, Southgate was interested in, in the, after the game on Saturday, his first thing was to mention the players who actually don't get into the squad. And Jordan Henderson spoke about how he goes around to sort of make them, to chat with them. Because 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 it can't be, that's what that's what we don't, we don't sort of put, well, and obviously we don't put much emphasis on, is, is there, how do players like Connor Cody, you know, Ben White, Ben Chilwell, 
the players in the squad who aren't actually well getting in the match day team and are not likely to see any minutes of football. It must be a long old haul for them, especially when you're in camp without any. You know, in normal camps, you you get out away occasionally to see the family, or they could come see you. You can't even do that. So I just, I think that's a great. It's a testament to those guys that, like you know, um, their only role is really to help in training, isn't it? And that must be, you know, that, that's a selfless thing these 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 players are, are um, performing for England. Yeah, I mean, you know, and I know we've been on trips abroad, and 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 you know, it does not help the overall. Um, atmosphere. If if everybody's pulling in the same direction, you know, somebody yeah. goes. If somebody's causing a problem, you know, you know, much of a even in, even in journalistic ranks, if we're away and somebody's always late or never got the right, you know, and, and causing an issue, then it turns into a bit of a it's a bit of a chore on occasions, and you can understand it. But I just wonder. I thought Roy Keane has been a bit harsh on Jordan Henderson. I mean, notwithstanding the fact he's Liverpool's captain. I mean, I did think there was issues myself about, look, if he's not fit, why take him? But I think he's been one of those who's who's really benefited from getting minutes through the tournament. But I just wonder about Jordan Henderson's overall influence. He's a vice-captain. He's a great... He's clearly a very, very well-respected figure at Anfield. He's clearly um, well-respected given the fact that he's been able to um, garner the support of his Premier League captains when they were put under the spotlight by politicians at the start of, of, of the pandemic and came out with, with flying colours. You know, I just wonder whether it's the, it's the likes of this that we don't really see, nobody sees, um, and, and they play a, a more important role than, um, than they're giving credit for. And, you know, I mean, basically, Roy Keane said, what's he there for to organise a nightly card score? Well, that's, yeah. you know, it's not much use in that. Well, to be honest with you, there is. If he's, if he's harnessing... You know, and keeping people in check and saying, don't worry, keep your head down, your chance may come, whatever he's saying. If he's keeping the bandwagon happily rolling along, then clearly there is a value in that. Clearly there is a value in having a happy camp. Otherwise, you know, why would we all be having a stifling giggles at the fact that the French have yet yet once again, you know, blown up um, a bit yet more rancor and mudslinging that appears mm. to be going on over there? So. Um, yeah, I, 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 do, I do. I do think it's an under underplayed um, facet of, of, of the yeah. whole tournament experience. Mm. God, I, I must say, sorry guys. I think you know, I think technical gripes there lost me there momentarily. Apologies, I'm back now. But um, so I must say, it's a great point there about that kind of the, the unity within the group. In that, basically, <laughs> yes, a few of us are sat around at St George's Park talking to Kieran Trippier about the sheer and impromptu gig. Uh, whether you like Ed Sheeran or not, you know, it's funny to have a world-renowned pop star, isn't it? Sort of, you know, with his acoustic guitar going between the sort of barbecue tables while they're having a little bit of food and a few songs having, <laughs> having a bit of a chat. And we were talking yeah. about this. And then in the background, two ice cream vans drive past. I mean, <laughs> most of it. I've seen them before, yeah. <laughs> I've seen Bizarre, them you know. So they've rocked up to serve up ice creams. You know, it's just amazing. I know how, how crazy is that. I, I've seen them before, and, and I, I remember. You didn't I get a ninety-nine. I know. Well, I came into St George's Bar one day, and 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 that, that van was ahead of me, Mister Whippy. And I thought to myself, well, it makes a change because normally England team hotels, it's Mrs. Whippy's normally arriving rather than me. <laughs> Very good. Very good.
I did actually tune into the Denmark press conference yesterday, and mm. I, I mean, wow! By the way, sort of kind of the access, you know, was 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 fantastic as it as England has been. I should point out. Um, but they are driven by a cause. Listening to their manager and Andrews Christensen as as well of Chelsea and the Super Tournament. By the way, um, they are how dangerous are these? Uh, uh, you know, uh, are these guys? Because I think everyone draws on comparisons. What happened with Class of '92? They stepped off the beach to win the tournament. They're driven by the Ericsson cause. There's an amazing story about how. You know, the, the the manager and his assistant, you know, obviously former player at Celtic basically had sort of a condition of nervous, uh, hit his nervous system. You know, I mean, various sort of stories, incredible stories. But you, find, you feel there's a bond that, that basically is driving this team and has unified this team all the way to the semifinals. How, how dangerous is that bond in trying to do it for Ericsson, if you like? Mark Cheek, we'll change the order. We'll change our round. Oh, sorry. You know, tell me, bro. You need to tell me. Um, sorry. Well, clearly, well, listen. There's, there's nothing more. There's nothing more dangerous, is there, than people playing, you know, with a particular uh, cause in mind. And, and Christian Eriksen obviously suits the suits the narrative. I mean, listen. I'm being, you know, everybody's happy. He's, he's okay. It was mm. Horrific. Absolutely horrific to see, you know, to see those scenes played out, you know, and and your heart went out to And I thought they were magnificent, you know, by the way, standing around him and, and all the rest of it. Uh, and yes, it's a very easy narrative, to, you know, to tap, to tap into. But I just think that, um, uh, you know, it's one they're going to, you know, it's one they're going to carry all the way to the final. Um, but, but I think it's masking the fact that this, this Danish side is actually pretty good. I mean, I had... Um, I was always going to say this at some stage. I had 10 quid on them at 28 to 1. So um, at the start of the tournament. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were my dark horses. So, um, but I, I listen, I'll happily forego that 280 quid um, uh, for an England win on uh, for an England win on, on, on Wednesday. But if you look at that side, it, it's, 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 it's pretty good. There's a lot of people with a good age profile, with a good experience, you know, Casper Michael's, you know, got good, strong mental, uh, 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 strong mental character. I mean, he showed that when he, you know, when Leicester City upset the apple cart and nobody expected them to uh, five years ago. Uh, Schmeichel played an integral part of that. He'll be, he'll be there, you know, again in the middle of it, um, uh, in the middle of it this week. Uh, and you look at the likes of, you know, um, Vestergaard, uh, Delaney, uh, Dolberg, uh, <laughs> Who else have we got? Um, Dan Gard and all, and they're playing for yeah. decent. They're playing for decent clubs. They've got good experience and they've got more to the point as well. They've got really good energy, and and I think that this is um, irrespective of the Christian Eriksen thing. This is a, a real. This is probably England's toughest test so far. Mm, yeah, yeah, no, I, totally, and, I totally agree. And, <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, so it should be in the semi-finals. I, I agree, and you only have to go back. I mean, first of all. You know, we talk about teams growing into tournaments, you know, and improving. We saw that certainly when Portugal won in 2016, they didn't win a single group game and they went on to win the tournament. Um, um, you have a situation here as well where um, obviously Denmark were, were beaten twice in the, in, in the group and, and still qualified. You know, the fact that they were beaten twice by Finland, the Nodes was obviously seriously extenuating circumstances in that defeat um, and by Belgium, I mean, shows you that, that you know, they, they, they can be vulnerable. But I mean, I, I think more of a yardstick to go by is probably the two games. You know, we, we, we mustn't forget that, you know, in three hours of 
football, the most recent football, only last year, you know, only last autumn um, against um, Denmark, England failed to score. And I think, John, I think that was probably one of our few trips during lockdown, wasn't it, to Copenhagen? Mm. Mm, yeah, it was, was. Yeah, yeah, it was one of our few trips. We actually yeah. went abroad. We went How to did you forget our walk from the airport, pal? Uh, our, our walk from the airport, mate. Remember, we got to the airport. It was just deserted. I mean, totally, yeah. utterly deserted. And it said walkable to the hotel. I mean, walked. I think it was like along a dual carriageway or someone in some barren yeah. industrial estate. <laughs> we finally got there, and then it was. Um, and you know what? I was trying to think this morning before. I was trying to think Never. about those games, <laughs> and that one. I mean, it's just, I mean, just a banish from the memory. It was nil-nil, if you remember. Yeah, uh, and it was just, you know, a shocking game. Notable only for debuts for Connor Cody, mm, mm. Calvin Phillips, yeah. and Jack Grealish. And wow. someone else made his debut. There's four, but I can't remember who the fourth one was. Mm, I, remember I remember Connor Cody, Connor Cody was the loudest player on the pitch. Well, yeah. Connor Cody so was the loudest loud. player. And, and Incredible. I mean, what and a, a, I don't count the first player in a quiet game. Yeah, I came I, on a score. Yeah, Phillips divided the team. He just came off 14 minutes to stop. Yeah, and he, yeah, and, and yeah. he, was, he, he made was a difference. Actually. Yeah. yeah, and that was the start. Actually, yeah. that was the start, wasn't it? That was the start of the the the, the funny kind of uh, Jack Grealish Mason Mount memes, wasn't it? Because that was the that was the first time I think that the sort of Gareth Southgate post match was asked a question about Jack Grealish and ended up talking about Mason Mount. <laughs> and it, <laughs> it was, was just it, was, it, wasn't it? Them, it, 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 it virtually put them on. To, yeah, it put them on to those two guys on collision course basically as a result. Unwittingly, I think Gareth Southgate really did that. But I have to That's say, right, I think it's great. Yeah, it's great credit to Mason Mount. These kind of, you know, I think basically, yeah, yeah, probably takes time to convince people, but everyone ends up being convinced that no one is questioning his place or influence anymore, right. simply because no. you know his ability, his technical ability, his vision, his skill. Uh, you know, allied to his work rate, I think makes him an absolute must pick for club yeah. and country. And that's why every manager falls in love with him because he's also got a super yeah. attitude. Wow, what a super player he is, you know. So yeah, terrific. I agree. Just go, mm. I agree, but just, just going back to that, so, so we digress there, but talk about Denmark. And, and they were they mm. weren't great in that game, but they're well organised. Then, of course, we had the game not long yeah. after at Wembley. You know, in which um, Harry Maguire was um, sent off, and England lost one nil. And then, of course, I think Rhys James was sent off after the final whistle, wasn't he? Mm. And um, England didn't play very well in that game at all. He, he, you know, even with ten men, they should have been better than they were. With eleven mm. men, they weren't very good because Harry Maguire had a poor game. If remember, he, he fouled uh, was it Yusuf Poulsen to start. I can't remember who the mm. or was that the, the, the one. It might have been Dolberg. It was the second one was on, um, and yet. And, you know, Denmark was an extremely well-organised fit team. So, I mean, you know, the, the Denmark that got of the early stages of this tournament, England should beat. You know, the Denmark that got beat to Finland again, you know, albeit in those circumstances, and the Denmark that got beat um, by Belgium, England should be beating that team. The one that has just beaten the Czech Republic, it was a decent side, and I think the Czech Republic were a little bit unlucky not to get, you know, take that to extra time. They'll they'll give England you know a really serious test and the one that England got beat by at Wembley by one nil and drew nil nil out in Copenhagen. Now don't forget also, John, on both of those occasions, Southgate went with with three at the back, three mm. five, call it what you want. Both of those occasions he he went with that. 
You know, so I just wonder now whether whether he realised that that isn't the best way to go against the Danes. That I think that that is one of the crucial points. Going quickly onto their team now, I mean, you know, they they have, you know, I, I think we always don't we? we we always look sort of a international teams, or we tend to. We had this we had this thing with the Ukraine, you know, and understandably we tend to look at international teams through their sort of the the, the lens of Premier League football, you know. So we'll, we'll be thinking of Vestergaard, we'll be thinking of Hoiberg. Kasper Schmeichel. But, you know, to me, Dolberg um, and Delaney, for example, you know, th- these are players that you've got to, I mean, be really, really wary of. And th- and we don't know much about them. Well, because we don't watch, you know, um, mm. Delaney's in, in, in Dortmund, Disney, and um, um, Dolberg's in Nice. And um, the fullback, um, Jockey M- Mailer, I mean, yeah. I, when wow. I've seen him playing this tour, it's, he looks super. Absolutely superb. So they're obviously a well-rounded side with Premier League players that we know. One is a couple who are coming in with Brentford. So they'll present a, a tough task. And I do think that the Southgate and Steve Holland, you know, will look back at those two games they played against Denmark and think, you know, we played three there, we'll go to the four. And I think it's crucial that England stick with the four. I think they will, by the way, but I think it's crucial mm-hmm. they do stick with that four at the back. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting, Neil, in that basically, you know, the Denmark manager was talking about it yesterday. He felt as if, you know, 60,000 fans at Wembley, which is fantastic, um, you know, and I'm so looking, I'm going to the room tonight as well, so so looking forward to that. Uh, the atmosphere will be so different. But he was saying that he wasn't ranting and raving about it. He was making the point that basically, you know, it's a shame that, you know, Denmark, bearing in mind they've got COVID under control in their countries, they like to see it, uh, that they won't, you know, have have you know fans of their own, if if you like, within Wembley or more tickets, and that they've been returned. There's an interesting side point there as well that basically, all, all you know, all the semi-finals have been hosts, and is that lack of you know the two things really? Has that lack of travel helped those teams? And then also just about that kind of you know how much of an advantage is home advantage for for England, it, it, you know, in the final week shakedown. Well, I think look, all I can talk about is my own personal experience, and and unfortunately, I know football is falling to a different category. But you know, if we ever go on night night sorties as we used to to places like Moscow and mm. Belarus and and Croatia and you know wherever wherever else we used to go. Does it affect your um, working week? I mean, notwithstanding the fact that obviously we've all been out and had a heavy night the night before and the footballers would have been safely tucked up in bed. But but does it affect your... Well, the answer to the question is, even if you get, as we used to do, ferried from the hotel to the airport and then obviously you get, get in your car at three or four o'clock in the morning, whatever, it does disrupt, it does disrupt you. Mm. You know, I, 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 all I can say is that, you know, uh, yes, they'll be in a far better shape than I am to withstand the rigours of... Uh, of travel but it does it does tire you out don't ask me how it does but it just does um and, and to be honest with you I, I do think that people have had an unfair advantage in terms of you know familiarity of surroundings familiarity of stadium familiarity of you know um pre-batch build-ups and all the rest of it so i actually do believe it's and i don't particularly want it to be a um, uh, a an experiment that's replicated. Yes, if they're you know two countries that are close together, like Spain and Portugal, are bidding for the um, twenty thirty World Cup, um, then 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 yes, because there's not great distances involved. But 
you know, for me, they have, the, 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 it's no great surprise that Italy and England in, and Denmark and Spain have, have, all, have all profited from it. Mm, yeah, it does. It does um, I must say, I mean, it does. Well, the stats speak for themselves. Go on, Andy. Well, yeah, apart from the fact that I think Denmark lost two of their games in Copenhagen, didn't they? I mean, they, yeah. they, you know, they, they had three games there and they, they, they lost two. Spain only won one of their games in Seville. You know, they, they drew two and won one. England, of course, didn't won sell out. By their... the way, didn't Sorry, sell out. <laughs> they didn't sell no, out. No, all no, their no. Games it's not very popular. It's not a, to be fair, John. It's not a very popular stadium. That stadium, either, is it? No. I mean, you've been no. to Seville, and it's it, it. You know, it, it's it's the it's a stadium that's not used by. It's obviously not Betis, and it's not Sevilla State Stadium, and it's not. It's quite a soulless place, isn't it? Um, mm. But yeah, so you know, Italy won all three games at home. Um, and then England obviously won two and drew one, and then obviously had the luxury of also having a knockout game at Wembley, which the other, which the other teams haven't had a knockout game at home, have they? And I think that's yeah. where England, that is maybe the big advantage for England, is that they've had a knockout game at Wembley. You know, I, I think I, I think I am right in saying, I may be taking the task, but I don't think any other teams have had a knockout game at home. I, I may be wrong with that. Yeah. But... In which case, you know, that is an advantage. And I agree. I agree. I mean, it's a big advantage. You know, and Denmark, of course, have just been to Baku, haven't they? Baku, yeah. Yeah. Uh, for, their, for their knockout game, you know, which is a hell of a journey. We all know we've done it. And the heat there, I mean, I, they were standing for the national anthems. And, and both teams were, I mean, it was dripping with sweat, you know, I mean, before even kicking the ball. That has to be an advantage. I'm not saying, obviously, England were in Rome where, where, where it was extremely hot as well. So, you know, I'm not saying that's an, um, a disadvantage, but it's a lot further back out. So, yes, it is an advantage for these teams and for England in particular, I think, you know, to, to have the prospect of winning a tournament, playing six of your seven games at home is, is a huge advantage, obviously. But then I, I get why it's being brought up, but I sort of don't because we always knew that was going to be the case. You know, as soon as this slightly madcap idea of Platini's came about and was ratified, we knew that that was going to be the case. You know, the, the, the teams who were who were essentially given home games because they were host cities would have a slight advantage. You know, and, and they have had an advantage. Yeah. There's just no getting getting away from that. It, it, it was it was always going to be thus. You know, the teams that the host the host countries normally you would say have an advantage, and you just happen to have more host countries. Mm, yeah, no, it's interesting. Well, right, finally, guys, we are going to move on to yes. our and finally section and our favourite pundits of of the tournament. I have to say, I, I love covering England and watched it, and I sort of kind of you know watched a lot of football besides, but I, I can't say that I've had a great deal of time to to sort of kind of watch every bit of coverage. No. But from what I have seen, it feels as if ITV have won the TV. Or, I mean, you know, I watched the, you know, some of the some of the BBC coverage the other night. Gary Lineker is always, you know, incredibly slick and and and, and impressive as a host, you know, on, on the BBC, and they've got some good pundits there. But I think Mark Pugach has, has sort of hosted really well, and some of the the ITV pundits are really, you know, really interesting with with, with something to say. You know, Gabriel Clark, I think, is 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 the best pitch interviewer and has been for some years, really. Um, but what, what do we what do we make of it? Guys, Andy, what do you think? You know, who's who's, who's been your impressive pundit? I, I, I'm the same as you, John. You, you know, I am. Um, I'm, I'm watching quite a lot of football, um, and obviously, we're obviously heavily involved in England. And I sort of flick between the channels watching it. You know what? I, I, I do like. I do, I do like Alan Shearer. I have to say, I think Shearer mm. has. And, and there's a lot of talk about the 
you know, let's let's see the new people. I mean, Emma Hayes has clearly been brilliant, absolutely brilliant. I mean, I mean, you know, when, when talking about if only teach me what expected assists are. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, I, I was just just when I thought I was getting my head around expected goals, I think <laughs> these pundits mentioning expected assists, XAs. I mean, it's like you what, like no, um, and and but I like that sort of insight. I like the insight, and, and Emma Hayes is, is is absolutely, you know, no, and no wonder she's got a prominent role in um, in tomorrow night's coverage for, for ITV because you know, in analysis of the game. Um, has been brilliant. I just, I just like, I, I do like Alan Shearer. Just for, I just think he brings now. He has grown into a statesman-like pundit. He's grown mm. into the sort of mm. almost Alan Hansen role, you, you know. Mm. And and I, and I quite like that. I quite like that. I like tuning in to see what Roy Keane's going to say next day, only because it's going to be, you know, I mean, it, it must be a massive struggle for him to come up with anything, you know, to come up with something more controversial after the other, like you know, and. I think that's a, a huge thing um, for him to do. So I think it's been good all round. I like Rio. I think Rio's been, I think Rio Rio is becoming, a, you know, the only thing I would say about that is that when I was queuing up for my accreditation, sweltering heat, with an hour and a half, two hour queue ahead of me, Rio came to the back of the queue, was told about this queue to get his accreditation, whatever. And for some reason, he, 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 he didn't join the back of the queue. And two minutes later, I saw him walking around with his accreditation like so. I'm always a bit, you know, I mean, unbelievable. It's like when when players, I love that one. The highlight of the tournament was not only when the guy checked Cristiano Ronaldo's accreditation, which everyone seemed to find was very, very funny. What I loved about it is that Ronaldo is wearing his accreditation. And I like the way the England players now wear it. Could you remember the time when they thought it was so big time they didn't have to wear the lanyard? That's yeah. a measure of how you're humble, pal. If you wear your lanyard with pride, yeah. Rio mm-hmm. wasn't up for that. So going back, I digress. But Shearer to me is, is is the statement of this of of this um, of this tournament, pundit wise. Emma Hayes has been absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I'll tell you what. It brings back a story, a story that Phil McNulty, uh, who works for the BBC, still regales me of. Basically, we were we were stuck in this horrendous, endless queue, beginning to worry about getting our flight from some place in Ukraine to another city in Ukraine, uh, covering Euro 2012. When I basically saw a outrageous queue jump, uh, and was immediately right. told, "Oh no, he used to, he used to play for Sweden." And so that didn't bother me in the least, frankly. And I started shouting abuse at him and basically embarrassed him. I was going to say, he joined you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, you know me. When I go, I go, basically. And I wasn't having it. And there's one thing that basically annoys me, and that's you jumping that I will not have it. I will not tolerate it. And so we always lucky that I didn't see him. He wasn't. He wasn't famous enough, and uh, uh, enough for me to have heard him. He's therefore certainly wasn't famous enough to warrant jumping the queue. Um, and it slips my memory there. But apparently, I was immediately told by his colleague, Swedish from Swedish TV, who was uh, who did exactly the same that. Don't you know who he is? No, I don't. He used to play for Sweden, and so you know, um, yeah, he didn't bother didn't bother me in the least. No, my word, did he cop it? Uh, anyway, Marks. I agree with I agree with Dunny. I think um, I think in the I don't know, I think Alan Shearer's he's right. He's taking on the state statesman. Like, I think he's basically he got by in the first few years of basically being Alan Shearer. And then he started to do his homework, yes. and I think it was most um, most evident. I think it was the um, 2014 um, 
2014 World Cup, when I saw him interviewed pitch side before the first game, I thought, "Wow, you've clearly done your homework." And and ever since then, I think he's, I think, I think Dunny's right. I think he's taken on the stage. I agree with him about Emma Hayes. I thought a, 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 a dissection of the. I hadn't. I've been at the cricket. I think that day, and I missed the Poland Germany game, and I came back and watched Emma Hayes, and she she basically took um, is it Santos, the Portuguese coach. Uh, to pieces for not uh, matching up Germany in the four, when the Germans won four two and the, the analysis was excellent. Um, I, I would just I would just uh, say one thing for one of your uh, for an Arsenal boy. I actually think even though he delivers it in quite an understated fashion, I actually think Lee Dixon's been a really good co-commentator, yeah. and I thought you know I think he's been really good on um, a lot of the England midweek England games that I've not seen. You know, um, I tend to watch it on my own. I tend to try and listen to people. And, and everything he says, I think, has got a purpose and tells you something that you may not, from as a, from a viewer's viewing point of view, be able to see. You might be able to pick up on it in the stadium. But I think Dixon, Dixon is, he gets a bit of a bad rap for being a bit boring. That's just because of the staccato manner in which he delivers it. But I, 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 think, what he, I think like him and Hoddle, Add something when they both um, when they both co commentate. So yeah. yeah, for me, you know, ITV at the moment are probably winning the battle, and Roy Keane is just box office, isn't he? So um, yeah. that's the end of that one. Yeah, the other one, box the other one that's really sort of kind of caught me. Yeah. Patrick Vieira, you know, Patrick Vieira has been good, I think. You know, so uh, well, yeah, we'll find out how good Patrick is in the next twelve months, won't we? Well, we will. Yes, it was quite. Yeah, it was. Um, it was. Yeah, it'll be. It'll be interesting, really. I have to say, yeah. Obviously, yeah, yeah, because I think that story was ongoing during one probably uncomfortable night on the sofa. Really, he obviously clearly wasn't going to go there, was he? But um, <laughs> there you go. Anyway, guys. Thanks so much for joining. I really appreciate it. Lovely message again from Glenn. Glenn, so pleased you enjoy it. Really uh, massively grateful for your praise because we enjoy it too. And so thanks so much for everyone for um, for tuning in and uh, and watching. And, uh, and yeah, let's hope, let's pray that it's coming home. <laughs>